0: You see it? Good morning, everyone. If you are new, my name is Solana Nigali. I'm in the pastor's here at Church of the Resurrection. There are several people that are sick in our church, and I pray that you will pray for them to get better. Uh, one of the people that, uh, one of the families is not doing well is the is. Um, So I stand here in Jacob's place to preach a sermon. And so if you hear me mention Lord of the Rings, or I might say thingy a couple of times, or refer to some kind of technological blunder, I'm simply challenging Jacob. That's all that's happening. (laughs) So today we're starting a new series, People of Promise, the Gospel According to Abraham. By looking at the life of Abraham, we're to um, answer some pressing questions that the people of God of every time and every culture always ask. Who am I? Who are my people? Where do I belong? And these are really important questions, especially for a place like DC. DC is known as a transient city with a significant turnover. People come and go in dizzying paces, And many of us are transplants here to DC and wondering whether or not we should actually put our roots here, whether these are our people, whether this is our place. Should we plant deeper or should we just prepare to move and think about the next step, the next place that we're going to? And if we do settle here, what do we do about the fact that people we've invested in emotionally, spiritually, other ways might up and leave? for various good prayers good reasons, oftentimes. Abraham's story, his life, his journey, speaks to this yearning for a single, rich, full place that we can call home. And his story is part of a grand epic. It starts from creation, leads us into Egypt, into the promised land, into exile, and then to Jesus Christ. Who are we? In a nutshell, we, are the people of God, living in God's land, under God's promise. Our passage today is Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, to chapter 12, verse 29, uh, verse nine. And it can be found on page seven of your ESV Bible. I encourage you to turn to that and, and follow along. Now I'm gonna provide a little backstory that we might be familiar with regarding this passage. In the beginning, God gave Adam and Eve a great commission. He told them that he would like them to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth and exercise dominion over the earth in a righteous, godly way. He wanted them to beget a holy nation that would rule the earth under his authority. Unfortunately, there was a stake in the garden that derailed our first parents and took, it. and so this this, mes- this mission took a hit. As a consequence of their actions, sin entered into the world. And then death followed. And then death reigned over everybody because everybody sins. In response to their disobedience, God curses the serpent. He adds pain to childbearing. He curses the land. He exiles them from the garden. But he did make a promise that there would be a seed that comes from the woman that, that would be born someone to, to be born. who would fix these things. Crush the serpent's head. But humanity continued to rebel. Disobedience reached a climax at the Tower of Babel. In Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 to 4, it says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. I can just imagine the collective gasp as the first readers read that. It's like the audacity. Didn't God say that you should be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth? And yet here you are building a tower to stay in the same place. God was like, nah, we're not doing that. So he shut it down. He shut it down immediately. He confused their languages and then they all scattered. Humanity finally at least obeyed some part of God's command. But the effects of disobedience continued to be a great plague on the earth. Sin was still rampant. Death was still ruling. Who was going to fix this? Where was the seed, the savior, this promised person that would enter into the world and solve this problem? The seed of the woman. And so this is where our story picks up in our passage. In the midst of a bleak situation, God calls the man, Abram, to create a nation whose identity is rooted in God and who would create for him a kingdom of holy priests. So today, we're going to look at, God, at God's call to Abraham. We're going to ask the question and address that question. Who are we? Who are we? The answer to that question is a sentence. Now, it's very rare that I can summarize my, you know, all my points in one sentence. So this is one of those great cases. So if you memorize the sentence, you have, this, you have gotten the just of my message. We were people in darkness, but God has called us into a relationship with him to worship him in a foreign land as we wait our true home. We were people in darkness, but God has called us into a relationship with him to worship in a foreign land as we wait for our true home. That's what we're going to talk about. Let me pray for us. It's always a blessing, Father, to hear you speak to us from your word, and we pray that you would do so now and draw us closer to yourself. Feed our spirits so that we can lift up praises and worship and thanks to you. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. So our passage starts in verse 11 of chapter, uh, verse 27 of chapter 11. We're introduced to darkness. There's a man named Terah, and he lives in the land of Ur, of the Chaldeans. Now, O was the principal, commercial, and political center of the region that would become Babylon. And fun fact, the Tower of Babel was also in the region of the Babylon. Now, it was also the center of worship to a particular god, a moon god, called Sin. And there was this huge temple there. Hundreds of miles northwest was another city called Harran, not to be mistaken with Haran, the son of Terah. And in that city, there was also the worship to the moon god sitting. There was even a bigger and better temple at that particular city, Haran. Terah had three sons Haran, Nahor, and Abram. And like everyone else, Terah was a worshiper of the moon god and the other gods of the Chaldeans. Joshua chapter 24, verse 5 says. Joshua talking to the people. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. So Terah was an land worshiper. And we can infer from this passage that his children were as well. So at some point, Abraham rejected the idolatry of Ur, but it's safe to assume, reasonably safe to assume, that he was also uh, an idolater before the Lord started drawing him to himself. So our story begins with idolatry. Idolatry in the man, but idolatry in this particular family as well. But that's not all. There's also, there's also death in this story. And there's also age and uh, childlessness in, it, in this story. We see that tragedy hits the family. No one should have to bury their child. But Mehor dies. And Terah has to bury his son. Not only that, but at the center of this story is the fruitless marriage between Abram and Sarai. Abraham's name means exalted father. And yet, in 70s, he had no children at all. Apart from Shem. In the genealogy in chapter 11, the genealogy of Shem all the way down to Abraham, all the men had children from their early to mid-thirties. By the time that Terah was 70, he had three sons at least, perhaps more. And so I wonder every time, every time Terah, uh, Abram heard, heard his name, whether he just rolled his eyes and was like, father of what? I have no children. And poor Sarai. Probably worse for her than anybody else that, than, than for Abram. She was she was barren. And contrary to the meaning of, of her name, princess or queen, no kings would issue forth from her womb. And she had no alternative to a career other than motherhood. The very thing that defined her identity was denied her. How did she feel when she saw the other woman in her playing with their kids? multiplying their families, recognizing that she couldn't participate in God's command to be fruitful, to multiply into the earth. Did she feel cursed? Did she grieve what she could not have? This is the darkness at the beginning of this story. There's idolatry. There's grief and sorrow over death, <sighs> over irreparable hopelessness, over infertility. Abraham and Sarai and the were living in darkness. And this is the beginning of our story as well. Who are we? We were people in darkness just like Tara's family. We were familiar with idolatry. We experienced grief and loss. And just like Abraham and Sarah, we could not produce life. It was hopeless. To quote the great scholar and theologian, Sam Weiss <laughs> it's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here. But we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Porter, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were, and sometimes you didn't want to know the end, because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. First of to Jacob. And yes, this darkness does pass. Next thing that happens is the light pierces into this bleak situation. God calls out to Abraham and effectively enters into a relationship with him. We know from other passages in the Bible that this call happened in Ur, not in Haram. Um, Acts chapter 7 verse 2 says, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. So God tells Abraham, Go, leave, completely disassociate yourself from your country, your kinsmen, and your father's house to a land that I will show you. Borrowing the words of John Calvin, God was saying, Go forth with eyes closed, until having renounced thy country, thou shalt have given thyself wholly, to me. This is, a, this is complete forsaking of everything that he knew. Putting his trust in a God that just introduced himself to him. Abraham was thrust into a relationship with a God who required him to give up all things. And if Abraham was willing to obey, blessings would follow. The darkness would lift. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you. And make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Unbelievable, God. To make such a promise to a man who was old, to make such a promise to a woman who was barren, that a great nation would come out of them. How could he make this promise to this couple? It's entirely possible that he could have chosen somebody else, by the way. There were other couples on earth at the time who could bear children and who weren't old. Job was probably alive this time. And we already know that Melchizedek was king of Salem during this time, we'll meet him later on. He was a high priest of God. God could use his family. But God chose to use an idolater from Babylon to fulfill his promises. Isn't it likely to see opportunity where we see weakness and deficiency, to display His power in the very things that hold us back. Isn't it like right, God? But there is more. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who dishonor you. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Not only was God going to bless Abram, that blessing will overflow to others. Ur, that he left, his kindred in earth, they will be blessed. Heron that he left, where his family was, they would be blessed. He had to forsake them first, but they would be blessed. The whole entire world, all the families of the world would be blessed through this old man and his barren wife. How? Interestingly, the promise is fully realized that through Sarah's barrenness. Just like God created everything out of nothing, out of that barrenness, he calls for a nation. And out of that nation comes the seed, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ enters into our world, enters into the epic, breaks the power of sin and death, reverses the garden, invites all the families of the earth to enter into his kingdom. That's how the blessing overflows. Now, the home where I lived in Nigeria, it now has running water and plumbing and all that. But for the 17 years that I lived there, 15 of those years, there was no water. Every two or three weeks we had to call the water board to bring water. So what that meant was we had to buy huge uh, large plastic tanks to uh, hold this water. We'd call water board and the water board would come with their huge water thingy. Yeah. Huge water tender, uh, <laughs> And they, they would come the moment this, this truck would start coming up, this tank would start coming up with water, you'd see children playing outside, and you hear this call, Anka Oruwa, Anka Kaorua. They brought water, they brought water. And everybody who was living nearby would come out with little buckets, or huge buckets, or, or jerry cans, or anything that could hold water. Why? I mean, the water wasn't for them, it was for our family. But because they knew that once that tanker, the tank would not be able to fill all the tanks in our house. Once our tanks were full, we said to the water people, give the water to everybody else. And so they benefited from the fact that we were being blessed with water. Similar to that, God's call, God's call to Abraham would bless him in a way that the blessing would overflow to the rest of the nation. Unlike what happened, you know, with us when the water thing came to our house, we had to pay for that water, but Abraham did not have to pay for the lessons coming his way. It was free of charge. Unlike us, we had to buy these plastic tanks, these huge plastic tanks, and install piping to connect it to the rest of the house and all that. Abraham didn't have to do anything except obey. God's call is full of ivory, I will, I will, I'll do it. Not you, I'm gonna do it. All they ran out to do was believe and obey. This is the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus constantly beggings to us, he says, Come, follow me. Come, follow me. So like Abraham, we were a people in darkness, but oh, the darkness lifted because God called us into a relationship with him so that we will bless everyone around us. Third point. Abraham answers God's call by faith. And the details are kind of unclear because we know that God called him in Ur of the Chaldeans. Uh, But then the passage says that it's Terah that uproots his family. And where does he take them? He wants to go to Canaan, right? So I'm not sure what exactly happened there. Maybe Abraham talked to his dad and uh, Terah's like, oh, I'm going to go. He said, okay. But they uproach the family, and they head to Canaan. But they get to Haran, and they stop. They decide to settle there. We're not sure why. You can expect him It It could be that, you know, remember I said that that Haran was a place of moon god worship. Maybe Terah missed his gods already and wanted to recommence to those. Uh, Maybe Abraham wanted to wait until his father passed away before continuing on to Canaan. Maybe Terah was just too old. We're not sure. We don't know. Whatever the case, Terah dies in Haran at the age of 205. And Abraham resumes his journey along with Lot and all his possessions not certain. He, he comes to Canaan. He thinks, this is exciting. From Ur of the Chaldeans, to where we worshiped gods, other gods, and there's idolatry. To Canaan, where they worship gods, and there's idolatry. Hmm. Wait wrong here. Uh, God, this place that you called me to, it's inhabited by other people. How are you going to live a nation when there's another people living in this land? Also, you might a be too busy to notice that there are worshippers. They're no better off than the Chaldeans themselves. Uh, they, as, as I said, worship idols, but they also sacrifice their children, they do temple prostitution, all sorts of terrible things. Isn't this what you're calling me away from? How does this make sense God, you want to establish a great nation through an old man, his barren wife, in a land that's owned by other people who are willfully disobeying your commands? The debt is stacked against you. God, help me out here. Now those are legitimate questions to ask. And I wonder whether, in some metaphorical sense, the serpent from the garden whispered to Abraham, Are you sure? Did God really say you should ask me? here. Maybe what you thought was a vision from the Lord was that months of all that didn't go down too well. Maybe that's what it was. I think you should go back. I mean, your family probably, probably misses you. Plenty of reasons to doubt. But Abraham didn't let his doubts skew the call of God. Rather, he worships. He travels to Shechem, and he locates this oak of mooring. Now, large oaks were places of pagan worship. Fertility deities were worshipped under large oaks. Yet at this site, God appears to Abram and says, your offspring will inherit this land. This is a hint to the reader that God is referring to that promise he made earlier in the beginning of Genesis and that he was going to fulfill that promise through Abram and Sarai. Abram believes God builds an altar to the Lord under this tree that is probably used for pagan worship and effectively claims the land for the Lord. Then he does the same near a place called Bethel, house of of God, and there he calls upon the name of the Lord. I think that's interesting. God calls Abraham into a relationship with him with a promise to make him a great nation and then he sends him into a land that he will never possess in his lifetime. Never. Abraham makes his home in the promised land, living in tents, moving from one place to another in a foreign country, never possessing much of anything there, but instead of doubting God, he worships. How often does God do that to us? In different ways. He uproots us and plants us in places foreign to us. Our posture in these foreign places should be like that of Abraham, worshiping and calling on the name of the Lord. So who are we? We are people who have been called by God out of the darkness, into relationship with him, to a land where we will worship. If you know me, you know that I love nature. I love rivers, mountains, and streams. Not a kind of lakes and beaches, but yeah, they're on the list too. I love nature. I love the quiet of the countryside. I love walking through the countryside, through the forest, and listening to all the noises, the birds chirping, like the crickets, the crickets doing the same. I love that. So when God brought me to DC, uh, I was like, okay. Alright. It's been really quite challenging for me. It's not a secret. I don't, I don't keep it a secret. Now don't get me wrong. There are many good things about D.C. I don't hate it here, of course not. There are many good things about D.C., including my church, by the way. But the thing is, my heart beckons me to other places as well. It's not a place that I would call home. So why are we here? Why is my family here? Why don't we just stop and move? Because we discern the call of God to be here at this present time. It doesn't matter what D.C. Is a DC worship doesn't all not everybody in DC worships the one true God. It doesn't matter that there are pagan sites in the city to, adopt, to 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 other gods, as in any and every city. What matters is that this is where God has called us to be. And for you it might be different. Maybe for you, your Ur is DC. And your Canaan might be, I don't know, Pretoria or Moscow or Russia or I don't know, New York. It could be anything different for you. And you don't want to leave D.C. to go to these strange places. But wherever it is that God sends you to, your response is supposed to be worship. Our response is supposed to be to call on the name of the Lord in that place. Invest in the community of believers and at the same time receive the love of that same community. And expect God to show up and enjoy what He gives us in the land that He sent us to. Now, I know that I truly enjoy being part of this church. And I do feel like I belong here. There's a longing in my heart that is unsatisfied as I'm here in DC. And Abram felt that longing as well when he we arrived in Canaan. Hebrews 11, verse 8. 10 tells us that abram came to this land and by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country he lived in tents as did jacob and isaac who were heirs with him of the same promise for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is god the author continues on that so many people of faith living in the promised land looking for a better city than the promised land itself. They couldn't return back, back to their own city. No, but they stayed because they wanted to see what God was going to build. That city that God builds was what would satisfy Not Tower of Babel, made by man's hand, but what God himself was going to make. That would be the city that would satisfy their longing, their desire to be rooted, to have a place called home. In reality, D.C. is not my home. America is not my home. Nigeria is not my home. If you are in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, no place on earth is your home. Your promised land is that place where God is going to build. Now, you see, we get glimpses of this city. We have experienced momentary joy here on this side of eternity when we fellowship together, when we break bread together. When we spend time with family and loved ones and places that we grew up, we get a a glimpse of that joy. But ultimately, if you are in a relationship with God, if you're worshiping the Lord, your posture is characterized by this desire to see Jesus come, to see that great city descend. And that's who we are. We are people that were in darkness, and then God calls us out of that darkness into a real, deep, true relationship with Him, so that we will bless everybody else. Takes us to a foreign land where we will worship Him as we wait for that city that He promises to give us, our final home. Let us pray. The yearning in our hearts—it's real, Father. We long for You to return. We long for you to speak into into our barrenness, into our darkness, into our idolatry, into our unproductive life. And we thank you that you have done just that in Jesus Christ. We pray that you would incline our hearts to worship you as we await for the coming of our Lord Jesus. that great Savior,